You are now tuned in to Built to Quit, a podcast where I talk with and dig into the stories of Black entrepreneurs and their journey to full-time entrepreneurship. Be sure to tap in every other week to hear distinct perspectives and lessons learned from Black entrepreneurs who created a blueprint and business that allowed them to leave their nine to five, but in a way that worked for them, their family, and their finances. And now for this week's episode. Hey, good people. Welcome back to another episode of Built to Quit. I am so excited and happy to be with you once again. Going to be a little honest, not feeling like my best self because allergies are a situation over here in the DMV um, in particular. But luckily, I have someone joining me today. I'm so honored and happy to be speaking with Deanna Dorsey Calloway today. Deanna's love for design began as a young child with a coloring book and has since grown into an entrepreneurial passion. She uses culture, empathy, simplicity, and inspiring design to support clients in their brand development. Her compassionate nature allows her to empathize with her clients as well as their audiences, and the result has been her unique ability to create, develop, and nurture the message to best align purpose and passion for brands. She's also the founder of District of Clothing, a lifestyle brand encouraging progression, inspiring action, and supporting self-love. With apparel and accessory items for the sideline projectors who awake with passion for progress and desire to make their dreams reality, District of Clothing is worn by the change makers making change happen. Deanna attended Villanova University in Villanova, Pennsylvania and Instituto Miragoni in Milan, Italy, and currently resides in Potomac, Maryland. Welcome, Deanna Dorsey Calloway. How are you this morning? Hi. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you and happy International Women's Day. Today. Happy International Women's Day. It is today. And I know this it episode will be today. coming out a few weeks after, but we should still hold space and acknowledge it because it's a day that recognizes just amazing women across the world, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. So thank you. And, and it, essentially it's every day, but we can hyper celebrate it today. Amen. Well, and it's National Women's, Women's History Month, right? The month of yes. March. So yes, we cel- we should be celebrating ourselves every day, even outside of the month, all 365, because women are, yes. we're awesome and we're incredible, especially Black women. Yes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Yes. Yes. Well, Deanna, I am, um, again, have been looking forward to to our conversation and just wanting to share and hear more about your story. As you know, uh, our listeners um, are have either made the transition or still trying to figure it out, which I feel like we do even years into business, or they are mm-hmm. currently working your nine to five and trying to figure like, how the hell do I get out? So I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. And I want to jump right in and ask you first, what was your first job and what's one thing you learned from that experience my absolute first first job was six seven years old and I used to work in my dad's law firm and I had to alphabetize his legal files and like grab papers from the printer and take them and deliver them to people and my first tax paying job was my junior year my junior year of high school, I worked at Chuck E. Cheese. I was a birthday hostess with the mostest. And I think from working for Dorsey, which is what I call my dad, I learned, you know, the importance of getting things right the first time or trying to get things right the first time and putting forth all of my effort because uh, I can just remember, you know, having to continuously do things 
he never let me give up if I mixed up some of my letters. I can literally, I can actually remember this. And then at Chuck E. Cheese, I would say I learned the importance of building relationships, both with my coworkers, as well as with the managerial staff. And then also building like a level of trust with the people that we worked with. And this is because I was a teenager and we were servicing adults and their families. We're putting on birthday parties for young children. And so the more that the parents trusted us, you know, to do the right job, to do the right thing, and to make sure that we were in a good mood and happy and smiling, I think that the kids were able to have more fun in that way as well. So building relationships, having some sort of camaraderie with the people that you're working with and servicing. What was your last full-time job, Diana, where you actually worked for someone else? Well, I mean, as an entrepreneur and a business owner, I still believe that I work for other people, you know, in this space as well. But the last time I worked for someone else was 2008. I was in New York City. I was living and working as a fashion designer. My company's name was Oxford Industries. And um, I made it through 17 rounds of layoffs. And they emailed me while I was on the beach at my sister's wedding, asking me to come back in during my holiday. And I went back in and got laid off. You can see it clear as day. Wow. So you survived 17 rounds. And then on the, let's just say the 18th round, you were, it amazes me at the audacity that companies have and that they just will lay people off and not even think about where you are, right? (laughs) Here you are on a beach, you're, you know, on PTO, pay time off, holiday, and they're sending you an email to come back in. Yeah, that's just, so, so let's go ahead and jump into, you know, how did that lead, lead you into, to working for yourself as a full-time entrepreneur? It was such a challenging time. So this is 2008, uh, which was such an exciting year, but at this time we're talking August, August of 2008. The, the economy was just taking a downfall. And this is, in my mind, I'm going to say it's the beginning of the Great Recession, but don't hold me to that. It, it could have been early on in it. I'm not sure. But for me, it was the beginning of the Great Recession. The fashion industry was the very first to go. I got laid off. I was living my version of, you know, the life that I wanted to live as a 28-year-old in, in New York City. And I wanted to continue living in my apartment. I wanted to continue going out. I wanted to continue eating with my friends and traveling. That very quickly changed once I saw that severance package. And so I took the next year freelancing. I moved out of my apartment. I moved uptown. And I think one of the hardest things for me to do has been to change my lifestyle. And so that that was what allowed me to, you know, push me to like, to keep pivoting, to figure out what was going to be next, because I didn't want to downgrade, you know, and, and live in a smaller apartment. I didn't want to move to an area that might not feel as safe for me as a single woman living alone. I didn't want to not be able to continue to, you know, continue my lifestyle in the way. And so I started freelancing. I can remember speaking with my headhunter, picking up random odd jobs. And it was about a year later, November, 2009, God just kind of woke me up one day and was like, girl, go home, (laughs) you know, go home. And I was blessed to have a home to go home to. 
also, I was blessed to have a home to go home to in a town that was probably the only place in the country that wasn't suffering economically. That happened to be Washington, D.C. I moved back home November 2009, and I literally moved back into the same room that I grew up in as a young girl. Again, I, you know, I'm very blessed to have parents who were able to help me during these tough times. And they welcomed me home with open arms and told me, like, let's help you plan some things out and you know, we'll figure things out from here on there. Came home, I just assumed because I had this amazing job in New York City, I had this experience working on these wonderful retail brands and that I was gonna quickly be able to get a job when I came back here. And you know, you have all these plans and God's just like, oh, once again, nope. And so I couldn't get hired. I was offered opportunities, but they might be 20 or 30,000 less than what I was making in New York City. And again, while my lifestyle was changing, I still wasn't ready for it to fully change, you know, in a way that I wasn't going to be comfortable with. And so I couldn't get hired. So I hired myself. And that's essentially, that was the very beginning of, of Deanna Dorsey Design in December 2009. That's a long-winded way to answer no, your question, was, but I hope again, I answered we, it. No, you okay. answered it. You answered it. I mean, again, it's your story, and I, I wanted to hear it, yeah. right? I think um, I would assume a, a lot of people are familiar with your brand, but maybe not so much the business or the businesswoman. And so it's beautiful. Thank you for, for just being transparent about that. And I'm just curious and would love to know if you had any thoughts about, you know, starting a, a business, um, your own business, before you were laid off. And so was it easy for you mentally to be able to kind of go into survival mode of let me be a freelancer because you'd already given some thought at some point or were you literally just kind of like let me freelance and that turned into more of like you know go home reset and now I can actually create a business I'm just trying to figure out and want to understand kind of where your inspiration to be an entrepreneur came from in the midst of that that transition that you were making yeah for sure so I have several answers to that because there were different stops along the way. Yeah. The first I'll say is that I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Everyone on my dad's side of the family, they, the, he's one of seven. They all are entrepreneurs, either full-time or even part-time. Second, I had started a company, Deanna Marie, in 2002, I think it was. And at that point, I was going overseas with empty suitcases getting remnants of fabric, bringing it back over to the United States. I had a couple of seamstresses that I met. For those of you who are into fashion and, and are from the DMV, and maybe you remember G Street Fabrics, but I was going to G Street Fabrics and speaking with some of the older women who worked there who were open to doing some things on the side. I met these two best friends who were really excited that I was bringing fabric back from Italy, and they were happy to be able to work with Fendi remnants. And I started in my horrendous way, sketching ideas that were in my head. And I would put them on paper, give them to these two seamstresses and they started making them. And I started selling those items. The next thing would be, you mentioned the freelancing. When I first moved to New York City, I, I left design school, Isidu de Medangoni in Milan. And when I first moved to New York City, initially, it was just overwhelming, you know, like at this point, if you can remember, we have Craigslist and that was sort of the way I was looking for work because all of my connections that I had started to build were overseas and they weren't necessarily in the United States. And I happened to find this woman on Craigslist who was looking for an intern. 
and I moved to New York City, interviewed with her. She accepted me, started working with her, quickly got a headhunter once I started to understand how things worked in New York and in the fashion industry and district. And um, I had this amazing headhunter who I worked with through my entire time in New York. And when I didn't have it together or when I didn't know, I would call her and she would work it out for me. And so she was the one who, when I got laid off, was like, okay, I have these gigs set up for you. This is where you're going to go. And it was like, great. And, it, and, you know, I would tell her like, here's my budget. Here's my rent. Here's, here's my food bill for the month. You know, this, this is how much my taxis have been costing monthly. Like, here's my budget. This is what we need to be making just so that I'm not destitute in the streets. And she was kind of amazing and helped me out. And then when I moved back here, Again, it was, you know, it was a blessing that I had a home to come home to. My father is an entrepreneur. And I think just in how I was raised, it, it was like when someone says no, it, it's like next opportunity, keep it moving. No just means go, essentially. And so when I when I came home, I remember starting to write a business plan that I still have not finished some 12 years later. And, you know, I think like once you start working and getting in the mix of things. If it is the calling on your life, entrepreneurship is definitely a calling on my life. I think it's a calling like to be a person of the word, you know, whether or not you're a pastor or a reverend or a doctor. I think entrepreneurship is, is like Jay-Z says, it ain't for everybody. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, it's not. But every step of the way, there was a pivot that was like glaring, kind of like come this way. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, one, well, I want to talk to you a little bit about, and we can talk about this a little bit later in the conversation about the whole business plan. Cause I, I've gotten like texts and emails from friends and they're like, Hey, I need writing a business plan. So like, I would love to just talk through that because do I, I don't have a business plan. I'm going to be very honest. And I remember meeting this guy years ago who let me pick his brain. He's a millionaire, actually started a company that was um, later acquired by DHL. And mm. he told me, he said, Jasmine, do not write a business plan. He said, first of all, you're going to spend more time than you need to trying to put it together. He said, but secondly, then you're going to just be relying on that plan and business is too fluid. It's not, your business is not going to flow according to the plan you write. So I would love to kind of like, I want to talk to you a little bit about that as well. I'm like, you know, kind of what are your thoughts on that? But before we go there, I'm just curious to know a little bit about how you were feeling. Can you just talk about kind of the human side of like coming home, resetting, now starting a new business? Did you feel overwhelmed at any point? Did you feel any fear at any moment? Did you feel like, oh my gosh, maybe I should just look for a job and not do this? I want to just talk a little bit about how you were feeling, you know, kind of in the midst of that transition. For sure. So when I first came home, I had just turned 28. And I was, I was shocked. I think that's the first thing I was shocked. Right. And this was the second time in my life. I think to that point that I was shocked at this level. When I went overseas for school, I never imagined coming back home. And so when I moved to New York city, I was shocked that I was living in New York city. And when, you know, living and working as a, as a fashion designer, I was happy, but I was also like, just really very shocked when I came home to Washington, DC, I was shocked because I could not believe that I was not going to be living the rest of my life in New York City as this um, semi-glamorous fashion designer. And I say semi because I was 28, like you're only so glamorous at 28 because there's only but so much you can actually, you know, afford to do on like a New York, New York style of glamour. But I was shocked. And I was, again, I was just very determined. I recognize like looking back and I'm 41 now. 
I recognize looking back that like when the punches came, I would like duck and jive. You know what I mean? And it was just like, okay, I can be shocked and I can have these bright eyed, you know, and be shocked, but I got to keep it moving. And there were definitely times I can remember, and this, this sounds so dramatic, but it, it's so true. I can remember on my very last day in New York City, I had to get on West Side Highway to get back to my moving truck. And they happened to be playing that Jay-Z and Alicia Keys New York song. And I was like crying my eyes out because I just never, ima- one, I never imagined leaving Milan. And then two, I never imagined leaving New York City. And to me, it was like, I started to make the life that I wanted. And why is this happening to me now? Like, oh, and of all places, like, I don't want to go to Washington, D.C. But then it also was like, well, okay, Obama's there. I have a safe place to land. And I was, I think I was equally shocked and determined. I also was just following God's lead, like, and understanding that this wasn't necessarily failure. This was like redirection. And I had to be okay with that redirection. And in my mind, I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just go to Washington, D.C. for a year and then I'll go back overseas. You know, like I was just young and naive and open, open to like the possibilities of things. But I think, again, like my faith was the determining like factor in terms of me, like continuing moving forward, the way in which my family's always pushed me, like no means go. I guess I was blessed to have a home to go home to, you know, that I can't stress that enough, how much I had a safe landing pad. And then I was also coming back to like Chocolate City at a time when y'all can't see my face, but just thinking about Washington DC in 2009 was like, "Ah," you know, so I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll be there for a year and then I'll go back overseas. Or, you know, in my mind, I was like, maybe I'll get to dress Michelle Obama. Like my mind was just, my mind was open. And I was deeply saddened to leave New York City and this lifestyle and this dream. And like, I could not believe that that time was over. But I also was really excited by the possibilities of coming home and doing something different. And I wasn't thinking like I'm failing. I was thinking like, okay, New York City isn't working out and God is redirecting me. Why? But I'll figure out the why later. Okay, we gotta keep it moving. There's these new shoes that I want. Or you know what I mean? I wanna be able to help my sister out with the kids financially, whatever it might be. I just was I was shocked, I was saddened, I was determined, and I was following my faith or being led by my faith, I guess I should say. What are some of the the things you did early on in your business to set your business up for for success? First, let me ask you, did you have a business plan? And if you did or if you did not, if you can talk about why, but then I also want to just hear a little bit about some of the things that you did, again, to prepare yourself and your business for for growth and just to actually be an operational revenue generating entity. I did have a business plan, which was never fully finished. And probably was more of a business marketing plan than a business plan. I knew based on everything, you know, that I was researching that I was supposed to have a business plan, but I'm also a creative person. I I think I'm equally analytical, but like the thought of me sitting down and writing a business plan was just, okay, next, you know, (laughs) it just, I wasn't going to, I knew that I needed it. I was like, let me start it. And if I don't finish it, fine. I'm not going to let that stop me from doing what I know I'm supposed to do. I think, and again, I'm dating myself, right? The first thing I did to set myself up was when I couldn't get hired, I was like, one, I'm going to hire myself. 
And two, I'm going to use the resources that are coming my way or that are available to me to help me, right? So at that time, it was once again, Craigslist. And several of the job opportunities that I was either interviewing for or, you know, just sending a couple of emails or had conversations about, they were, they would say like, well, you have this amazing portfolio, but it's all really very fashion-based. Like we need help with design or we need help with marketing or we need help with storytelling. And you have to remember this is Washington DC 2009. So it's still very like penguiny, very black and white. And it's not as creative and welcoming as creatives as it is now. It is literally night and day to how it was then. And so I used Craigslist to find an organization led by my now brother, Christopher Bradshaw, Dreaming Out Loud. He was looking for someone to help with branding, design, marketing, and fundraising. And I was like, oh, okay. Everyone here is saying that my portfolio is too fashion-based because they don't have the, at this time, the ability to see like that it doesn't matter if my portfolio is fashion-based or not. The principles can be applied across the board. So let me help this organization, this Black-owned organization that's working with kids in board seven and eight. That'll help build out my portfolio. And if I need to stay here for another year, then I'll at least like build my portfolio for six months with him, use that use that money, and then I'll go back overseas or back to New York City. And I would say I was resourceful, chose to hire myself. And then I, you know, I'm also a creative, so I'm like shy until I'm not shy. So I wasn't going around telling people, but my work sort of spoke for itself. Chris had an office space and a location, like a one of those like very early on um, co-working spaces called the Affinity Lab which is no longer even happening in existence anymore here in Washington, D.C., but there were several other small businesses that were starting there, and people started to see the work that I was doing for his organization, and literally one day, I did not have a business. I had, you know, a client that I was sort of servicing, but also helping to build on my portfolio. I was doing all of this pro bono, and then the next day, I had like four clients. That's literally how it happened. I think the last thing I would say is like, I just put my head down and did the work, but again, I was very blessed because I had a soft landing pad. So I was at home with my family. I didn't really have a lot of bills at that time. So I I was blessed to be in that position to do that. Yeah. I want to highlight the fact that you were flexible and agile and recognizing that you needed work. Like you were hiring yourself, but you needed to find clients. And so I too am part of that generation of like Craigslist, where, where do you go to find business Craigslist? And it was a pop and it was a thing. Um, now, I, you know, we know that the the ecosystem for how you find clients is a little different. I don't even know if Francis is still, still around, but I'm definitely going to Google it when we when we finish talking. But I do love that you um, just mentioned, I think that even though Craigslist doesn't exist today, or it's not necessarily the best resource for finding work, I just think it speaks to the testament of you really having to get out there and be willing to do the work and do uncomfortable work and look in places that you may not have ever thought, right? We know that when you open for business. People don't just come flocking to your website and be like, Hey, hire me. Like, you know, I think, and I think that's a fear particular for, for black and brown entrepreneurs or people that are thinking about it of like, how am I going to make money? And I think, you know, you gave just great examples of things that you did as far as being resourceful, taking on a client, taking on some pro bono work. That's a thing. Like I spent a lot of part of my career volunteering and not getting paid, but the skills that I learned, it opened up doors. Same for you, yes. right? It created opportunities. So yeah. I want to just call that as I think that's extremely important to mention as part of this entrepreneurial journey. Great. Thank you. I think, 
when you decide to take this step to being an entrepreneur, you will realize that, you know, you're doing a lot of failing in public and you just have to fail fast, fail forward. And it's actually inspiring. It's inspiring for yourself because at the end of the day, you're like, hmm, I made it through another day. And I actually have some checks to cash, you know, <laughs> or it's inspiring for the person who's watching you, who's considering doing this as well. And I hope you all take away many things from this conversation, but I hope the biggest thing you take away is like, it kind of drives me crazy how much this word has been overused, but learning how to pivot is, will allow you to continue to be successful. You know, you're going to fall, pick yourself back up, keep moving forward and pivot again. Just got to be light on your feet. No, you're right. I, I kind of want to go down this path with you as we get ready to wrap up. And speaking of just no, like being loud on your feet, going. Yeah. <laughs> being loud on your feet, but most importantly, fail for, I think that people assume also that, you know, you make a decision, you start your company, however that, you know, manifests itself, but then you just go and you grow. And so many entrepreneurs fail at the business they start. So they have to pivot and start something different or offer something different. But the one piece we don't talk about enough is the self-care and the mental uh, strength that's required, right? Because you put your heart and your energy and your thoughts, you quit your job, you got fired from your job, you know, everything that you knew was security, quote unquote, is gone. And now you're doing something new and you're, you're facing failure, you're facing no's. How have you navigated that from a mental perspective? How have you navigated, you know, having to, you know, fail fast and fail forward? I just, I give all glory and and gratitude and thankfulness to Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Like I would not be here with you today if it weren't for my relationship with my God. Grace is such a very powerful thing. Gratefulness is such a very powerful thing. And being okay, learning to be okay with the ups and downs, right? And this is something, again, that I have learned over many, 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 many years of doing this. I've learned that typically when I take my biggest risk, that's usually when I get my biggest reward, but it's also one of the hardest leaps that I'm ever going to take, right? How am I going to sustain myself during that leap? Knowing yourself, which is what entrepreneurship also really is a big part about, is just like really getting to know you deep down, you know, those dark, ugly spaces, like you really, truly get to learn yourself and learning how to be okay in between the absolutes is really the largest parts of entrepreneurship. It's such a faith walk and faith journey for me personally. I think also being surrounded by people who believe in me, believe in the work that I do and, and who are willing to do whatever they need to do to like try to keep me up, but to also just lay on the couch with me when I can't get off the couch. And then I think I've been so incredibly grateful to have communities who are supportive of, of either Deanna Dorsey Design or District of Clothing who during the pandemic, for instance, I mean, if I was in a really down place for a couple of days and maybe didn't post on District of Clothing's Instagram or Facebook, I would literally have community members sending DMs and asking like, are you okay? How are things going? You know, like just reaching out. It is so important that you check in on your folks and as entrepreneurs that we check in on each other. But I think the most important thing is that you check in on yourself. And I, I do this and my sister laughs at me all the time, but now she's an entrepreneur and she's like, I do the same thing, but I'm always like, am I okay? Am I, how do I feel about this? Like, and I will say it out loud. Are you okay? How are you feeling? You know, on Mondays are my, they used to be pre-pandemic, my museum Mondays, that was sort of like my day to get 
a lot of my inspiration and get things done. And now since the pandemic on Mondays, and again, I'm, I'm coming from a place of privilege. I have insurance and I have time and space, but I start off my Monday with my therapist. We meet every Monday at 10 a.m. And it just sort of sets the tone for the rest of the day, which also sets the tone for the rest of the week. I remember like, you know, again, pre-pandemic, there might be a time when you are constantly meeting with clients and they're like making all these demands on you or they need you to come to these happy hours or they need you to come to the office. I started putting my meeting days together. So, you know, it would either be two days a week, maybe on like Thursdays and Fridays or Wednesdays and Thursdays so that I only had to actually get up and get dressed and look good two days out of the week as opposed to worrying like, what am I going to wear? How much time am I going to get back? Oh my gosh, I'm with this client and yet I need to finish this project for another client. And so learning how to organize my week for myself was really very helpful. I am exceptionally vain and happy to, <laughs> to admit it. So it's really very important that I'm constantly working out and that I'm eating well. You know, I try to go to bed early just as a black woman, I, I chose to stop drinking liquor when I turned 30 and kind of like transitioned into the, some of these spaces because I was, you know, you might be out with like a couple of friends and then you wake up the next day and you're hungover and it's like, oh my gosh, I, I legit, I can't sit at this desk, you know, and be worried about my boss or my supervisor coming over. Like I am the boss and the supervisor and I have to be worried about these checks coming in. So like 30 years old, I stopped drinking hard liquor. And for me, you know, I make sure, well, again, pre-pandemic now, I just, I stream it, but always going to church is so very important. Having real conversations with the people who will, what I call like my board, right? So my board is like my mom, my dad, my sister, now my husband, a couple of my friends who I could like call and they're like, I can hear it in your voice, what's going on. And the board is not to help me with like any work. It's literally just to help me with myself. And then I think, you know, finding space and time to do the things away from that and reminding yourself that you, yes, you have built this, you are building this, but you're still so much apart from that, right? You are still a whole wonderful human being all on your own, whether or not what you're building or have or did build, like created something or if it failed. When I started District of Clothing in 2014, my prime client had gone on a spending freeze. And so for five years, I had this amazing client. I didn't have to worry about bills. I didn't have to worry. I didn't have to worry about anything because I knew the hours that were coming in from this client every month, they were on retainer. I knew when the check was coming. I knew that I didn't even have to cash it because of, you know, how things were set up with our deposits. I, I just, I had everything working. Right. And then one day it was just like, Hey, we're going on a spending freeze. Like what? And, you know, learning, and we can maybe talk about this in our part two segment. Yes, we're going to have a part two. We are. (laughs) We are. (laughs) But, you know, having that space and time to think like, okay, how can I make it through the rough months? You know, it wasn't so much like I'm just going to stop because I had built this thing and I had these other skills. It was like, well, how can I make these skills also like help me make it through the rough months? And now you know, six years later, 14, seven, eight years later, oh my gosh, almost eight years later, I now own two businesses. And I can't even say the District of Clothing is my side hustle. Most people know me for 
district of clothing before they even know about Deanna Dorsey design at this point. And like, look what all God brought through that. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, I failed. I lost my prime client and I don't have this income coming in. And then it was like this new segue into this new portion of my life that was very much reflective of my former life, you know, from my twenties and it all kind of came together. And now in 2022, both of these businesses really for like the last two years have been merging into one. So my faith is what has allowed me to stay up and my family and my board, you know, as what has allowed me to stay up. And I think me, like the essence of just being a black woman has allowed me to stay up. You know, when I think about like the people who formed me, the people who raised me, just these amazing, I'm going to cry, these amazing black women who just, you know, they keep it moving with such grace and dignity and beauty and power and love and faith. And I want to make them proud. I want to be, you know, reflective of them. And I want my niece to think of me when she's my age in another 30 years. Yeah. You didn't tell me you were going to make me cry this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't, that wasn't my intent, but this is where we are. And I think it's, it's beautiful. Thank you for being human um, and for being transparent and just for sharing. I too believe that for me, entrepreneurship has really, I've been much more self-aware than I ever have been. And, and, and to all of your points, you know, when you're, when you're out here, when you've been called to be an entrepreneur, because I do believe that it is a calling as well. You have to be able to, what is it? Heavy is the head that wears the crown. There's so many things that comes with that. And if you don't have Mm -hmm. a firm foundation in your case, in my case, it's faith. Um, you will be lost. You, there's no way you can navigate and manage. And you said, uh, you talked about leaps. I call them dips. And I experienced my first dip, you know, early this year where it was no money coming in. And I was just like, what do I do? And to your point, that's when you have to rely on that found, firm foundation, whether it's your faith, whether it's your community. I think that uh, every entrepreneur should have a community of people. And it doesn't have to be people that you're necessarily doing work with. It doesn't have to be just partners, but to your point, it can be, you know, a relative that just can just connect and check in because there are going to be days when you are like, what do I do? Something's not working. I feel like shit. Like all those things are real Mm -hmm. and happen Mm -hmm. in every phase of entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. whether you are three years in business, three months in business, three days in business, there's going to be... A, a wave of emotion mm-hmm. and uh, not knowing. And I, I believe if you don't have a firm foundation, whatever that looks like for you, you are not going to make it. So thank you for, for just sharing that. Cause I just think it's extremely essential to again, navigating everything that comes with owning and running, you know, your own business. Mm-hmm. So I do have a question, two questions for you. One is, um, and I'm asking this because someone asked this of me and I'm like, a girl, I don't know. I'm not in the fashion space. Let's just <laughs> talk about fashion a little bit. And I'm not the most fashion for, I mean, I'm cute. I like to, you know, put a little couple pieces together, but I'm not, I've fashion you. not. I mean, I, you know, I just, fashion's not my thing, but my question for you, cause I know that this is a, it is an honest question. What does the fashion space look like in the DC area? I, I hear people say, you know, you have to go to New York or Miami, but can you talk a little bit about like, what does that look like for someone that, you know, is interested in fashion? Do they have to go to New York? Do they have to go to Milan? What can they do locally to, you know, kind of start their business and, and start building a brand in this space? Hmm. I, I literally feel like we could have another uh, podcast specifically on this because the Washington DC area 
is so rich in, in design, in style, in fashion that, I mean, I can remember being a young girl and, you know, going to Up Against the Wall to get some of the local brands. Makunu was big here. Um, Shooters was big here. Being here, there was just a, a wonderful community of Black-owned businesses that were fashion-based that you couldn't come outside your house without seeing people wearing, you know, Makunu or Shooters or help me. There were so many, there were more brands, but those are the first two that are kind of coming to my mind. Yeah, I love my Parasugos and my princess. Yes, like- well, yes. So that was what I was going to say next, right? Yeah. So then the next thing is like, we already, we had here in Washington, D.C., we had like absolute brands that were birthed from the soil here Madness, in we are one. Madness, we are we one. Are, yep, yes, they're yep. coming back, right? Yeah. So we had like absolute brands that were here. Then we also had an absolute style that was reflective of our culture and the people who were here, like the native Washingtonians, right? So we listened to- a variety of music, of course, but, you know, native to Washington was go-go. And when you are, I was never allowed to go to a go-go because my daddy was so strict. But when you would watch the videos or you just walk outside or, you know, we would occasionally go to Union Station to be able to hang out or if you're going to Pentagon City Mall, everyone's wearing guest jeans, Parasuco jeans and the the Nike boots, you know what I mean? Everyone had on New Balance. Like DC had its own style. It's so sad to think, I feel like maybe this is what I'm supposed to do next. Maybe I'm supposed to do like a documentary about the style of DC. Maybe that's something I need to talk to some people about, but there was something, oh, I'm really excited about that now, actually. Um, There was something very specific about DC, right? And it was just, you didn't have to go to New York. You didn't have to go to LA. And I think that some of the richness gets pulled away, sadly, but there are so many black owned brands here that are amazing whether you're looking for children's wear you know unisex wear you have or men's wear specifically but you have the museum which is amazing you have the somewhere dc brand which is amazing you have gosh of course i'm like on the spot and can't think of everything right now the um there are several brands here that also like continue that part of Washington, D.C. that is very unique to just here in Washington, D.C., right? And just in terms of fashion, like, I think style has to just be who you are. So to me, Jasmine, you're stylish. I saw you. I saw you, like, in your space. I saw you. You were good. Yes, you were doing it, right? (laughs) And to me, it's not what somebody else says. It's, like, who you are. It's, you know, making sure that you feel good about yourself and you're doing and wearing whatever to make you feel empowered and good and reflective of who you are at this moment. It doesn't have to be the same tomorrow or the next day. It's definitely, I don't think that, you know, people should be spending like beyond their budget, you know what I mean? Especially Black people, I want us to be able to save our coins, invest when you can in the apparel, but, you know, have capsule collections so that you can have things that will last for a very long time. And wear apparel that means something to you, which is why I started District of Clothing. You know, we want to inspire action and conversation and inspire self-love and be reflective of like who we are and what we believe in. And those are things that kind of never go out of style. But as a whole, DC has so much flavor. I mean, if you're looking for couture, sure, you're not going to come to Washington, DC, fine. But you can go to some of these boutiques and they can make a call for you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Not a problem. 
I think I love, you know, shopping local. My style is kind of all over the place, but I just say it's Diana. You know, one day I'm dressed, the next day I'm not. But usually I'm like, if I'm in sweats, it's district of clothing. If I'm not, you know, several brands that I like and have have had for a very long time because I thankfully I haven't changed much over the last 15 years in terms of my size. But I think you should just wear what makes you feel good and makes you feel empowered and allows you to do the things that you need to do in that moment. But specifically, DC's got flavor for sure. Thank you. Thank you for, for that. Because I didn't know how to answer because I'm like, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. You know, I, yes. I guess, girl, go to New York. I don't know. But I'm glad you said it because, again, I know that there are younger women in particular that have that interest that are, you know, DC, DMV based and trying to figure out, like, how do I um, create a footprint or what does that look like in the DC area? So thank you for just offering um, that to those that may be wondering. I want to wrap up and I just want to ask you to just thinking again about our black and brown brothers and sisters that are listening and that are in this nine to five and trying to figure out like, do I have what it takes or um, how am I going to make this work? If you could just leave us with a word of, mm-hmm. of encouragement or inspiration um, that someone can just hold on to whenever they're ready to make the move, they can reflect and think about, about your message. Mm. I would say to my brothers and sisters, you have everything within you now that you need to get started. If this idea has come to you, it's come to you because you have the ability to bring it to fruition. Tomorrow is another day. When you get there, you'll have whatever you need, you know, to get to tomorrow and to get through tomorrow too. I think, you know, look inward, look up if you are a believer, and then also look at what we've overcome. Like, look, you know, think about your your ancestry. We are magnificent. We are so brilliant. We are so excellent. We are God's people. We built this country. We built this whole country. So whatever the idea is, like it's come to you because you have the ability to bring it to fruition. I was raised to believe that I was put on this earth, you know, to provide a service to my people and also to be of service to my people. And if if there is a way in which whatever it is that your the idea has come to you to do that you know, trust in that, trusting in your ability to like to do it to the way that it's supposed to be done. But you don't have to start off in a big magnanimous way. You can start small. There's so much beauty in starting small. There's so much beauty in like servicing the people immediately around you. There's so much beauty in if you're 17 years old and you're listening to this and you're a fashion designer and styling or dressing your younger sibling. There's so much beauty in, you know, designing your own t-shirt and wearing that to high school you're already doing it. You know, if you have the idea and you're thinking about it and you're listening to this, trust that you're already doing it. These are these first small steps. Trust in the significance of each small step. Deanna, this was, this was phenomenal. Thank you so much. Um, thank you this for is, having me. I, I thank you for accepting the invite. Um, this was awesome. I, I cannot think of another person who have spent this time as part of my day with on International Women's Day. So thank you for just being an inspiration to other women, other Black women, other business women. I I think you're just an incredible woman and I I wish you all the best as you continue to navigate your own journey, which is not not ending anytime soon. And I also hope that this idea that you just thought of while we were talking, I can't (laughs) wait for it to be manifested and to to see that come to fruition as well. Um, This was 
this was just a great time together. I definitely want to have you back so we can talk some more to folks that joined us. This was, I just hope you, I hope you got what you needed out of this conversation. I got more um, than I expected for myself today. So as always, you know, may you be inspired to know if this is what you want, you too can quit and be okay. Um, Until next time. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, there are a few things I'd love for you to do. Subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, but most importantly, share it with your community. Thank you again for listening, and remember, you were built for this.